It was the uh, second semester of my junior year at college, and I had come up with what I thought was the perfect plan. That semester, I would be heading back to school, not necessarily to study, but I would be there for a month enjoying my time with my friends, because later on I would be heading off to Argentina to do a study abroad program. And so for me, I looked at it as essentially the perfect plan. It was going to be one month where I was able to spend with my friends, enjoying time with no responsibilities before I headed off for my time of study in Argentina. And so with that, began the first week of that time there, and this plan was going very, very well, until one night. I remember it very, very clearly. We were having a great time, and just for those of you, this was my pre-Jesus days. Uh, I was in my fraternity house. We were having a great party, and the next thing I know, some friends of mine came and said, Trevor, we need you to go upstairs because your mom is on the phone. And I kind of wondered, because I know my mom, and obviously she likes to call at certain times, but this was odd. This was not a time that she would necessarily be calling. So I was going upstairs to the room, and I could hear sort of the party going on below. I got on the phone, and I said, hey, mom, what's going on? How are you? And she said, Trevor, I need to tell you some news. And she said, are you sitting down? I said, well, no, I'm not, but I can. And I could just tell at that moment that something was terribly wrong. And so as I sat down, she turned to me and she said, Trevor, I need to let you know that your good friend Dominic has taken his life. And at that moment, my timing and what I began to realize was God's timing was being questioned. I remember it very clearly. That past summer, Dominic and I had spent time together enjoying each other's company. We had spent time going to the Boulder Reservoir water skiing. We had hiked together. We had spent so much time and grown so close to each other. And I remember also that Christmas, for some reason, Dominic was a little bit aloof, but I never thought anything of it. I just thought maybe he was busy, maybe he had things going on. And the next thing you know, I got this news and I began to say, God, what is going on? Where are you? Where have you gone? Friends, I wanna ask you a question. Have any of you ever in your life gotten to a point where life is clipping along at a fast pace, and you've got your plan, you've got your timing, and then something out of the blue occurs. A tragedy, maybe a loss of a loved one, maybe you're moving toward retirement and you're excited about things, and the next thing you know, three, six months into retirement, you come to discover that you've got an illness and you only have so long to live. Maybe it's the early loss of a child. Maybe it's the loss of a job. But I think all of us might agree that at some point in our lives, God's timing comes into question. We begin to wonder, God, where are you? And why weren't you there when this occurred? And so a couple of things that I want to encourage you in this morning as we study essentially an aspect of God, that he is eternal and he is the God of infinite days, that we're going to discover that in these moments where we question the timing of God, what we need to remember and recognize is that above all and through all, from beginning to end, God's timing is perfect. And when we do, that begins to encourage us to worship God in those moments where we might question him. We might wonder why his timing seems off from our perspective. So a few things for you. I'm going to start off with a question that I think might resonate with some of us. And it's simply this. Where was God in my past? Where is God now? And will God be with me in the future? Some of us might look back to our past. Some of us might look back to some things that we've had go on in our life. And praise God, perhaps we've been able to be removed from it or we've grown past it or God has seen us through it. But we might come and wonder and say, you know, my past was so hard. Was God really there? Some of us this morning might be here struggling with something going on in our lives and saying, God, where are you now? What are you doing? Why aren't you here? Why aren't you answering my prayers? And then sometimes we can begin to question and say, well, God, if you weren't with me in my past and you're not here now, are you sure that you're going to be with me in the future? And what I want to encourage you in is please don't ever feel guilty about this. These are natural questions. These are questions that we ask in our life when what we think should be going on or what we think should be happening all of a sudden goes awry. 
Sometimes to our own fault. Sometimes we do things that cause things to go awry. But sometimes we're doing the best that we can, living the best life that we can. And what we call it is life happens. And we begin to say, God, where are you? Why aren't you here? Or where were you? And that can cause us to trust less and wonder, God, where are you going to be with me in the future? One of the things that I want to let you know is, just to be honest with you, as I look back to that time, as hard as that time was, hearing the news about Dominic, as gut-wrenching that plane flight home was, as hard as it was to go to Mr. and Mrs. Armijo and wrap my arms around them and just break down in tears, that was the moment when God began working in me. I went into a very dark time, to be honest with you. That was a time where I began to wonder, was there a God? Is there a God? And if there is a God, why would he allow this to happen? But by God's grace and by God's timing, I can distinctly look back and say that was the moment where my invincibility, where my desires of life, where it was all about me began to crumble. And I began to realize that there's got to be more to this. And I can't do this on my own. And what I am so amazed about is, is in those moments when I turned to God and I said, I don't want anything to do with you, God said, that's okay, Trevor, because I want everything to do with you. And I have a plan, and I have a purpose in what I'm doing, and I'm making all things new. Friends, one of the things that I want to encourage you with when we ask these questions, first and foremost, is this. We will often hear the words, God will never leave you nor forsake you. We hear that all the time. Has anybody ever questioned that? Really? Where were you here? Where were you there? Where are you now? And one of the things that I want to tell you is, is before we make this cliche, it's hard to hear, but I can tell you from the bottom of my heart, I can tell you from the deepest part of my being, that God will never leave you nor forsake you when you are in Jesus Christ. The road might be hard. The timing of God might seem off to you. God's plan might not be what you think it should be. But I promise you that God will never leave you nor forsake you. But also what I want to show you is this. In difficult moments, we tend to wonder if God has abandoned us. I don't need a show of hands, but I'll be the first one to raise my hand that there are moments in my life where I wonder and I say, God, where are you? You dropped the ball on that one. You've abandoned me. Has anybody ever felt that way? and questioned and wondered God's timing, God's plan, and God's purpose. It's interesting because what I want to do is I'm going to read a quote from Jen Wilkin, but also I want to talk about Ecclesiastes and Ecclesiastes 3. We read in Ecclesiastes essentially that there's a time for everything, and then it goes on over a series of about eight or nine verses saying there's a time for this, a time to be born, a time to die, a time for war, a time for peace, a time for love, a time to refrain from love. And we look at that and we think, okay, that's wonderful, and there's a time for these things. But sometimes we say, okay, God's timing is off. And I love this quote by what Jen Wilkins says about understanding the eternality of God and recognizing indeed that he is the God of infinite days. This is what she says. It says, Ecclesiastes 3 tells us that he assigns, meaning God, for everything a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Take that for a minute and ponder that. For everything, there is a season and for time and every matter under heaven. What does that mean? That means to us that everything that goes on in this world, everything that we see, everything that happens, every tragedy that occurs, every aspect that we think that God was not in control, God is. Because God is sovereignly designed the universe and this earth. And in those moments where we wonder, in those moments where we question, we need to recognize 
that we are finite individuals and God is an infinite being. He transcends time. And we need to remember and trust that God's plan, God's purpose is to bring about the redemption of mankind through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he is doing so wholly and fully according to his perfect, pleasing, and honoring will. God's timing is perfect. But then we continue on and it says, but it doesn't feel that way from a human perspective, does it? We look at the timing of events in our lives and think that perhaps, at least in a few instances, our timeless God has temporarily checked out. And friends, what I'm going to tell you is is you're not wrong for feeling that way. Because we are limited beings. But what I want to lovingly tell you is, is you're wrong for staying there. Oftentimes what we see is God is close to us when things are going well. When things are going according to our plan. God is blessing me. God is good. God is wonderful. God is great. And then the next thing you know, something happens in our lives that is unplanned, that is hard, that is tragic. And we begin to turn and we say, God, where were you? Where are you? And that's okay. But lovingly, what I want to tell you is this, is if we turn to a point where we begin to doubt God, where we begin to say that God wasn't there, friends, what I want to tell you is, is you're stepping into dangerous waters. Because God is there. I want to take a minute, and I just want to point this out to you. Many people would cry out and say, where was God? Where was God when Jesus was on the cross? From a human, temporal perspective, we would look and we would say, obviously, there is no God or God has checked out. Where was God when Jesus was on the cross? He was right there. making all things new. Friends, when we question the timing of God, when we question what God is doing, lovingly, I want to take you back to the cross, and I want you to look and recognize that often the world will question, where was God? Where is God? And if God is truly there, then why doesn't Jesus get himself down from the cross? But what we need to remember and recognize is is that God's plan, God's timing, God's purpose was far greater than anyone could ever imagine because at that moment, God was making all things new. So that in this world, in this world of brokenness, in this world of death and sin, we can have the opportunity to be restored to our Savior and to have the opportunity to live eternally because of what Christ has done. God is making all things new. God has made all things new. God will make all things new. Friends, we read this again in Ecclesiastes, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. And we have to remember and recognize that there is, instead of there is a time, we read it this way, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. It's sovereignly designed. It's not haphazard. It is ordained by God. There is definitive a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. And then it continues on, and as we read, essentially, and if you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, uh, to the next eight or nine verses, and it continues for an idea of a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Friends, there is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. And those days are sovereignly given by God. God knows my birth, and God knows my death. And my plan for God is for me to live to 102 and to be skiing down the Hobax and Jackson Hole and to be taken into glory. 
Maybe. God may choose to take me home today, tragically, according to the world. I pray that's not the case. But rejoicingly, that I know where I go. And that I am home with my Savior in heaven. And for whatever reason, unknown to us, unknown to me, God's timing, God's plan is perfect because I can't add a day nor take away a day from my life that God has granted. Friends, sometimes in these moments where we wonder where God is, we wonder what God is doing, we do question, where was God in my past? We might be questioning, where is God now? And that may cause us to question and ask, will God be with me in the future? And oftentimes, I've told us before, we see, we often hear the words, God will never leave you nor forsake you, and we wonder. And what I want to tell you is, is you need to hold on to that and know he will never leave you nor forsake you. Turn to Jesus, turn to that moment, and turn to that spot where the world would say, well, God, you've certainly forsaken Jesus now. And realize that God says, no, I've never forsaken him. This is my plan from the beginning so that you might have eternal life by his sacrifice. Friends, God has an amazing way of bringing about beauty from ashes. God has a wonderful way about bringing and drawing people to him. As hard as it is through moments of tragedy and moments of hardship. Please hear me, I'm not promoting that. If I could pastor and say that your lives would be easy, that we would all get what we want, how we want, and where we want, it would be a very much more exciting and easier job. But what I want to tell you is this. I've seen time and time again where individuals go through something that is gut-wrenching. It is hard. It drops you to your knees. You cry out to God and you say, God, where are you? But what I also see from those moments when individuals cling to God is this beautiful story of God holding on to them and to us and drawing individuals closer to him, becoming a beautiful testimony to the world around individuals who look and say, how can you even do what you're doing? And people say, I can't, but my God can. God's timing in the realm of eternity is beautiful and it is perfect. One of the things that I'll tell you, and this is natural for us though, is this, that we tend to place God's infinite timing within our finite understanding, expectations, and demands, don't we? We think God should do it this way. We should think that God should do it at this time. And sometimes it does occur and we give God praise for it. But friends, do we give God praise when it doesn't occur? Do we continue to say, God, you're a good God when our timing is not his? When what we want doesn't come about? I've said it before, and this is kind of a humorous thing, but what I want to tell you is this. Remember a child. Remember those kids that come up to you. And what I want to say is this. We all know our son Noah, and he's wonderful, and I love him to death. But if Noah comes up to me at this moment and says, Dad, I want a chainsaw for my birthday, I'm going to say, Son, I'm sorry, but no. And he's going to cry, and he's going to whine, and he's going to think that I'm this mean dad, mean God. You didn't give me what I want because I think I need a chainsaw. But what he doesn't know is I'm not giving him the chainsaw, not because I'm mad at him, not because I don't love him, but because I'm protecting him from something that he thinks he needs but could hurt him in the end. Sometimes we cry out to God and we say, God, why didn't you give me this? Or why did you take that away from me? And please hear me. I'm not saying that you're wrong for doing so. But oftentimes God's ways are not our ways. And we need to remember and trust that in the grand scheme of life, in the universal picture of not only our world today, but the world over time, God is bringing his plan fully to fruition. 
Jen Wilkin continues to talk about this, and she says this about an idea of recognizing that God has an appropriate time for everything. It begins to turn our hearts away from doubt and into a deeper sense of worship. We can readily acknowledge that there is an appropriate time for everything. But we have fairly formed opinions on when those times should be, don't we? The time to heal is any time someone is sick, right? The time to be silent is when I'm done speaking my mind, right? The time to die is at 102, skiing down Jackson Hole, right? After I've lived a full and wonderful life. And God, not a moment before. But we see all around us that tragedy and comedy, birth and death, mourning and dancing, present themselves seemingly at what? Whatever time they choose. Human comprehension labors to make sense of it all. But this does not mean that what God is doing is not perfectly timed. The problem lies not with his timing, but with our perception of it. Friends, God's timing is perfect. We need to remember and recognize that he's making all things new. But often we do tend to place God's infinite timing within our finite understanding, expectations, and demands. And again, lovingly, I turn and point to the cross, and I would say that the world would cry out and say, God, your timing is awful. And yet what we see three days later is what? God's timing is, was, and forever will be. Perfect. And so with that, we must come to the realization that God's timing is perfect and his ways are not our own. We must recognize that. I want to read to you out of Isaiah 55, 8, and essentially it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. That is such a profound statement that we need to remember and recognize. The prophet Isaiah is speaking for God. He's talking about what God will be doing. Essentially, the book of Isaiah has been known and termed essentially the fifth gospel. It is essentially the proclamation of what God will do through Jesus Christ and how he will bring about restoration to God's people. But as we travel through the book of Isaiah, we see this juxtaposition of triumph versus tragedy, of victory versus death, of destruction versus renewal. And that is a story of redemption that we see through Jesus Christ. We recognize that even in the difficulty that will come, even the challenge that will come to God's people, as Isaiah says it will, we see the blessed hope of redemption through Jesus Christ at God's perfect timing and God's perfect timing alone. And at that right moment, at that perfect time, at the perfect place, in the perfect moment of history, God places himself through Jesus being fully God and fully man, to come to this world. When the world is at a crossroads, when the world is wondering what it's doing, God says, it's time, Jesus, to go. And he does. And we recognize as we travel through this world that God's timing in that event was absolutely perfect. And if God's timing in that event was perfect, we need to trust that God's timing in the events that we see, in the events that we wonder, in the events that we question is perfect. One of the things that I want to encourage us in is I've heard a lot of talk from individuals as we move forward in this world that the end times are near. Maybe. Maybe not. 
Friends, what I want to tell you is this. As we travel through human history, there were moments when individuals were going through hardship and strife and struggle and challenge. And they too would have said, well, the end times must be close. And a decade went by. And a century went by. And a millennia went by. What I can tell you today is is that we are closer to the end times than we were yesterday. We'll be closer tomorrow than we are today. But God's timing is perfect. For me, while I wonder, while I question, I'd rather prepare my heart toward God to be for Him rather than worrying and trying to calculate from the world's events that are around us when the day is that Jesus will return. Spend your energy focusing on God, not on trying to be some prophetic individual who, by the way, lovingly, if you say the end times are tomorrow, where'd you hear that from? Because as we know, scripturally, the only person who knows when the end times will come is God. God's timing is perfect because his thoughts are not our thoughts, neither his ways, my ways, declares the Lord. Sometimes, lovingly, I'm going to tell you that we will not understand, we will not get, it will not add up in what God is doing. Because we are finite individuals and God is an infinite being who transcends time yet within time is able to have it move perfectly as he sovereignly designs. Jen Wilkins says this, the Bible begins with a timestamp in the beginning and then spends 66 books describing the God who decrees seasons and times but is not bound by them in the least. Free to act within the time as he wills, he exists outside of it. He is simultaneously the God of the past, present, and future, bending time to his perfect will, unfettered in or by its constraints. The past holds for him no missed opportunity. The present holds for him no anxiety. The future holds for him no uncertainty. He was and is and is to come. One of the things that I'd like to encourage you with is, well, what about this? Really? Why am I the only one who's struggling with these questions? I'd like you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be taking a look at Psalm 90. We're going to be discover a psalm that was written by Moses. And as we do, as we look through this, we begin to see an individual who essentially is wondering and questioning the timing of God. But as he looks and he sees, he sees who God is. He sees the character of God. He begins to realize and rejoice in the fact that God's timing is perfect. What he does is perfect. And so with this, one of the things that I'd like to see as we focus on the first 11 voices, verses of uh, Psalm 90 is this, that when, when we do, when we look to God and we realize that his timing is perfect, we can rejoice in the eternal nature of God and the fleeting nature of man. We're going to see in a moment that Moses is going to set up a time for us to live. And for him, he says it's about 70 to 80 years And one of the things that I want to encourage us in is is we kind of expect that in our lives, don't we? We enter into this world and have an expectation of God that we should live 70, 80, and perhaps even now, 90 years. And yet what we do is is when that time might be cut short, we begin to become upset with God because we feel as if God has robbed us of our time. But friends, what I want to lovingly tell you in a moment, we're going to discover this. It's not about the time that we live. It's about how we live the time of which we've been given. 
It's not about the time that we live. It's about how we live with the time that we have been given. Psalm 90, verse 1. Moses turns and he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. He's looking back. And he said, you've been with us through the entirety of our generations. Before the mountains were born. I love how we've talked about this in the, t- the aspects of God. We, we see psalmists, we see writers trying to speak to the eternal aspect of God using what? Finite aspects to describe the eternality of God. And they do a good job, but they still can't totally get there. And so in this, essentially, he's saying, I'm, I'm trying to show the eternal aspect of who God is. Before the mountains were born, where you brought forth the earth and the world. Doesn't that resonate back to what we talked about before? In the beginning. From everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Anybody a mathematician in here? That's an interesting mathematical premise to make. From everlasting. (laughs) Well, if everlasting is everlasting, to everlasting, we're thinking finitely, right? Line to line. From, to, but it's everlasting, and it's everlasting. You are God. The infinite sign. But wait, my mind thinks that I got up today a little bit late, to be honest with you, about 7.35, and I started to sweat. I'll go to bed tonight, probably about 10 o'clock, and then tomorrow will be August 2nd. And again, if I have my calculations down, I'll live till I'm 102. And I think in these blocks of set time. But God is from everlasting to everlasting. He is God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O son of men. For a thousand years in your sight is like a day that has just gone by. Or like a watch in the night. Friends, for us, 70 to 80 years is a long time. But for God, a thousand years is like a snap of a finger. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Friends, one of the things that I think is important to see here is this. It doesn't mean that you're not important to God. It doesn't mean that you're not valued by God. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you deeply, passionately, and intimately through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But what it does mean is number your days. What it does mean is be humble before God and thank Him for each and every moment, every breath that He gives. Because every breath that He gives is sovereignly given by Him. And your birth and your death are sovereignly designed by Him. We are consumed by our anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have strength. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. For he knows the power of your anger. For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. What's happening here is Moses is looking and he's beginning to recognize that indeed he is finite in who he is. He's beginning to realize that apart from God, there really is no purpose. And so what it's doing is, is as he's looking at the eternality of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, it's driving his heart to a moment of, essentially, crisis. He can make a decision. God, that's fine. I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm just going to live my life how I want, where I want, and when I want. Or, 
or given the fact that, Father, if I'm fortunate, if I'm lucky enough, if you choose to allow me to live till I'm 70, 80, 102, skiing down Jackson Hole, help me not just to live my days expecting them to be counted, but help me to live the days that I have bringing glory and honor to you. One of the things that I want to encourage you in is this. We talk about aspects that will just drown us or quelch us in how we live our life for God. And through this, Jen Wilkin is talking about some aspects that are related to the aspects of this psalm, essentially the first 11 verses. And this is what she says. How do we, how do we overcome this? How do we move forward? Well, number one, it's by trusting in who God is and recognizing that his timing is perfect. But then she goes on to say, let go of the past. Let go of the past. There's two aspects that I want to talk to you about this. Number one is past hurts and past pains. It's not easy to do. Please hear me on this. But one of the things that I want to encourage you in is I've seen individuals who are 60, 70, 80 years old, and they're just old crumuppins. They're just miserable people. And they're miserable when you speak to them because they're upset about something that happened when they were 20 years old. And they can't let go of it. And you look and you say, gosh, if you could just let go and be free. The other thing, too, is some of you might have been hurt. Some of you might have gone through challenging situations. Maybe your home life was difficult. Maybe you as a child feel that you have committed sins or something that are unforgivable. Let it go. Because when you come to Jesus Christ and you turn to him and you say, forgive me, you're forgiven. And the enemy continues to want to go to you and say, yeah, but are you sure? Man, your past was really bad. Let it go. But here's another thing that I want to encourage you with, friends. Nostalgia. Oh, I long for the day when I was back in high school and my football days of glory. This isn't me. I wasn't a football player. Oh, I long for the day when I was 20 years old and I was a swimmer. And this right here was a six-pack. And this right here wasn't there. And this gray that was right here was a nice jet black. Nostalgia. Friends, oftentimes we live life looking back, either through hurt or pain, or wanting to go back to those days. And lovingly, what I'm going to tell you is this, those days are gone. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking back to good memories. Please hear me, that's not what I'm saying. It's good to look back. It's wonderful to look back and say, boy, I actually kind of did have a six-pack when I was in high school, right? But not to live there. Let go of the past. And the next one is this. Let go of the future. What's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? Is this going to occur? What's going to occur? Lovingly, I'll tell you, this is my biggest challenge. This is how I'm naturally wired. And I can tell you this because my parents laugh. Because back in like kindergarten, we're going to school. My parents are dropping me off at school. And you would think that the question that I was going to ask them was like, Mom, Dad, where are my crayons? Right? And so we're going to school, and I'm in tears, and I'm all worried, and my parents say, what's troubling you? And so I go to them, and I'm like, Mom, Dad, how do I rent an apartment when I graduate from college? Dude, I'm in kindergarten. Let go of the future. It works itself out. One of the biggest things and one of the things that I do my best in is the advice that my father gave me when he was at my grandfather's bedside. And he turned to him and he said, Dad, or Romy was his name, would you do anything different in your life? What's one regret that you have? And he says, one regret that I have is this, I would worry less. 
because 90% of the stuff that I worried about never happened. And of the 10% that did, about 50% of it really actually mattered. Let go of the future. God's got it in his hands. And the other part of this is knowing that your future destiny in Christ, no matter what happens between now and when God takes you home, is that God is taking you home. That's a great future to be. And as we look at 70, 80, or God, 102, for me, years, in the realm of eternity, it is but a blip. And so with that now, live today fully. Okay? If I have to, I don't want to, carpe diem, seize the day. Live today fully in Christ, with God, bringing glory and honor to his name. And that's the transition that we see that Moses makes as we move into verse 12. He says this, Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. God, the life that you give me, the days that I have on earth, whether it's 102 or whether it's this afternoon, my prayer, Lord, is that you teach me to number them. You teach me to rejoice in them. You teach me to recognize that I am finite, that I'm not meant to live forever here. And so rather than wasting those days on either worrying about the future or, uh, and looking to the past or taking those days and building them for me and me alone, Help me to look at the day that you have given, the breath that you've given to me as an opportunity to bring glory and honor to you. We look and we recognize in Psalm 90 that when we do, we rejoice in the eternal nature of God and the fleeting nature of man. But as we turn to 12 and 17 of those verses, we begin to ask God to number our days for the purpose, so that we might bring glory to him. Relent, O Lord, in verse 13, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. God, may I wake up in the morning. May I wake up in the morning knowing that I'm going somewhere that has had a terrible tragedy, knowing that I'm going into something difficulty, knowing that I'm going into something that guts, gut, is gut-wrenching, but knowing your unfailing love. And may I be satisfied in it as I look, as I cry, as I hold, as I don't understand, but what I do know is I know your unfailing love. And Lord, may that be my morning. That we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. I'm not saying that we have to be happy. This is not talking about putting on your best foot forwards, you know, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Not saying to anybody that if there's a great tragedy or hardship in your life that you just say, I'm fine. But a deep inner gladness in who we are in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, knowing indeed that he holds all things in his hand and his timing is perfect. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children, May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes. Establish the work of our hands. God, may my hands be used to work for you. And in may me asking and saying, may my hands be used to work for you, as terrifying as it might be, as scary as it might be. Lord, if that means that I must go through something hard, then may it be. And in going through something hard, may I look to you 
so that others might see your face. I will never go through. I will never go through what he did on the cross for me. We will never go through what he went through for us. So God, in your timing, if it seems off, if it's wrong, if it doesn't add up, may it be so. Because your timing is perfect. Jen Wilkins says this, we live differently when we regard the future as a place we will go if the Lord wills. Not my will be done, but thy will be done. God does not owe me the 70 or 80 years of which Moses speaks in Psalm 90. Every year he gives is a gift, gracious and undeserved. God, thank you for today. Thank you for my 48 years. Thank you, if you will, for tomorrow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, if you will, for 102 in Jackson Hole. Thanks be to God, not just for the years he has preserved for me, but for the years he has ordained for me. Perfect in number and known only to him. Friends, I know when we talk about life, when we see God's timing, we can question where is he and what he's doing. It is perfectly natural for us to ask, where was God in my past? Where is God now? And will God be with me in the future? But this morning, I want to encourage you, recognizing that God is timeless, and for him, he is not bound by time. That because of that, God is perfect, and his timing is perfect because he's making all things new. And so even though we are bound by time and we question his timing, we can go back and say, we know, God, that our ways are not your ways, for your ways are higher than ours. We can know that your plans are not our plans, because your plans are higher than ours. And so with that, as we look to Psalm 90, as we look at Ecclesiastes, we can rejoice and we can say that there is, not there is, there is a time for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant, a time to uproot. A time for this, a time for that. And when we foundationally recognize that those timings are sovereignly designed by God, we recognize that he indeed is in control. We stop worrying and wondering about our past. We start, stop looking to the future and we live in the present, rejoicing in God and asking him to number our days so that we might bring glory to him. Friends, the final thing that I leave you with is this, the take-home truth, that knowing and trusting that God's timing is perfect, we begin to number our days, not in a timing sense, right? But number them in an aspect of how might I bring glory to you. That's how I want to live. God, if I've got 10 more minutes... I pray that I'm living those 10 minutes bringing glory to you. If I've got another, whatever it would be, 102 minus 48, for those of you who are mathematicians, I pray that in that I'm bringing glory to you. That's how I want to number my days. And friends, that's how I encourage you to number 
yours. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for you. I pray that in this aspect of recognizing your eternality, that you are a timeless God, you are eternal and a God of infinite days, that it would prick our hearts, it would challenge our hearts. This is not an easy message to hear because so often in our lives, when things go awry, we question your timing. We wonder where you are in those moments of tragedy, in those moments of loss, in those moments of disruption, in those moments of despair. But Father, in that, I pray that we would look back to the book of Ecclesiastes, that we would look to Christ on the cross, and that we would recognize that God's timing is indeed perfect. And in that, Lord, we would begin to recognize his infiniteness and our finiteness. That we would rejoice in the eternal nature of God and the fleeting nature of man. That we would put you in right perspective. And that from that, in placing you in the right perspective, we would bring glory to you, not asking to number our days so that we can do what we want, not expecting a life of full number, but a life however long or however short that is filled as a reflection of you. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children say, Amen.